You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning, welcome to the show. Wednesday, August the 30th, bright and early here in TW11 today. And later on in this programme, we'll be reporting from the first day of the Goffs UK Premier Yearling Sale from Doncaster with the man who is responsible for selling the top lot and buying a good few as well. We will also be heading to Sussex to the stable of David Menuizia, who may yet win one of the big races in the UK this weekend and has news on a horse who ran extremely well in the Ebor last weekend. Plus a word on the Charles Burns case and what's the latest in the battle to ensure that television channels covering racing can still be shown in Ireland because of the government's intended ban on betting advertising. Ryan McGilligat, who's the chief executive of the Irish Racehorse Trainers Association, joins us for the latest on that. But staying in Ireland, you may have read a piece in yesterday's Racing Post by Patrick Cooper of BBA Ireland entitled, We Really Need to Talk About the Irish Derby and Everyone Stands to Gain If It's Reduced to 10 Furlongs. At the moment, it's 12 Furlongs or a mile and a half. And at the end of his piece, Patrick says, I personally am willing to thrash the issue out anywhere, anytime. Doing nothing is to approve continuing mediocrity and is an abrogation of responsibility on the part of the caretakers of a once great race. Well, Patrick joins me now, 7.45am, Wednesday the 30th of August, as does Lydia Hislop, regular correspondent to this show, journalist and broadcaster, who disagrees quite strongly with Patrick's contention that this race should be moved back to 10 furlongs. Patrick, first of all, thanks for uh, taking the challenge. And Patrick, first of all, thanks for joining me. Uh, f- just for those who haven't read your piece, just flesh out the case for the change to the Irish Derby. Well, really, Nick, it comes from an Irish Derby perspective. In Ireland, national hunt racing obviously is much more popular than flat racing. And we've only ever had one flat race that captures, captures the imagination over here, and that's the Irish Derby. For the general public. I mean, last year I went to a party after the Irish Derby and met two ladies who'd spent three days at Royal Ascot. Um, This is a non-racing party. They didn't know the Irish Derby was on that day. Now, that's the problem. The race has completely disappeared from the public view in this country. And we need it back. The only way that we can get it back is if we can make the good horses come here again. And they're flat out just not coming. Uh, why will a reduction to 10 furlongs bring the good horses to the Irish Derby that it's not now? Because, I mean, at the moment, owners are running away from the Irish Derby. I mean, Ammo Racing took King of Steel to Royal Ascot this year to run the King Edward rather than come to the Irish Derby. I mean, he was entered. There was no reason not to come. I mean, I can't believe they were afraid of Gustus Rodin, but they preferred the prestige of running at Ascot. Um, you know, you look down the list of winners ever since the horse, the race has been changed. The French Derby has been changed, should I say, for 10 furlongs. And not a single French Derby winner has come since. In fact, we've probably only had about two French runners in the race since 2005. Um, so the horses aren't coming. So we need them to come. And in order for them to come, we've got to sell them something that or persuade the owners that winning the Irish Derby once again is a race of prestige that's worth having. And at the moment, they're not agreeing. I mean, five out of the last 12 st- uh, runnings didn't have a single overseas challenger. Lydia, is this is this not now a race that just requires some sort of radical surgery? Would it be so bad to take it back to 10 furlongs? 
I think clearly the race does need some attention and needs some some help. I mean, it was established in 1866 in this form over a mile and a half uh, for, since 1872. It's a, a superb race. Uh, when I was getting into horse racing, I remember Salsable and Generous and Shanshavit and Balanchine, and that was the glory era of the Irish Derby. And I, for one, would very much like it to get back to that kind of level. But it doesn't. I, I don't see the logic that follows that by purely by dropping the race to ten furlongs that you're going to capture the imagination of the general public. And I don't see why doing an act of harm to the thoroughbred population, the long term um, health and uh, and um, non homogenization of the breed. I mean, we are meant to be custodians of the breed custodians of the pattern i don't see why basically saying let's get rid of the top class 12 furlong horse in europe which is essentially what the irish derby dropping to 10 furlongs would be a second step after the pre de jockey club um dropping to to an extended 10 furlongs would be that essentially would be what we would be saying and i think it's a massive act of self-harm and incredible short-termism it's it's treating the symptom not treating the problem uh, patrick what do you say to that well if Shalini has a better idea i'm willing to listen to it but you know, so far, no one's coming up with one, and that's the problem. No one's discussing it. No one's saying, I mean, there's videos saying absolutely she's right about how the, what the race was like in the 80s. I mean, I grew up in Kildare. I mean, it was a huge event, and the good horses came here. Now it's a non-event. And, you know, everyone says, you know, something needs to be done, but no one can give me a solution other than this one. I mean, if you can solve, if you can solve the problem without changing it, I'm all ears. Why do you think it is then, Lydia, that the the, the Irish Derby is losing its losing its relevance, losing its place? Is it is it simply Ballydoyle dominance? Is that frightening people off? Well, I think that's a, a, a partly a function of it. I mean, the collectivisation of the better horses into fewer hands, and the way in which uh, commercial breeding and increasingly commercial ownership means that it is perceived that staying horses um, take too much time to get going and are more expensive expensive to, to break into. Um, clearly, uh, Aidan O'Brien has dominated the race. I think he's won it, is it 14 or 15 times um, and uh, since 1997. And he's also propped up the race in, in latter years as well. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a double action, I think, of that collectivization and the, the 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 trends of breeding but you know we're we're daft if we think this is just just about the irish derby look at the eclipse and they're only being four runners look at the international stakes and they're only being four runners and these are 10 furlong races we have a problem and what we need to 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 focus on is the problem and unfortunately there aren't any short-term snap finger solutions to this problem it involves um making sure that the uh, staying horse is seen to be something worth investing in from from start to finish of its career so from the point of breeding to the point of first second and third acquisition and it, it seems perverse that these are the bloodlines on which europe built its reputation and now it seems to be valuing them so cheaply trying to do what other nations do better than than it meanwhile other nations actually want our bloodlines you know japan is doing the exact opposite of course uh, and focusing on, on on staying bloodlines and having increasing success at it and what essentially europe would be doing if it moves towards 10 furlongs and shorter is basically saying to japan that's all right you can have all the mile and a half races all around the world we don't mind we'll try and breed uh, sprinters like australia but we're less good at it 
So I, I think what we should be doing is putting up a long term strategy. It's going to take 10, 15, 20 years. But the answer, there is no short term shortcut. Unfortunately, it's not an easy solution. It's about trying to, to build it up from breeding to maidens and novices and through the, um, the building up of races to a group one level. That's what needs to be done. It's hard work. It's going to take a long time and it's not snap fingers. Let's drop, cut the race by two furlongs. Patrick, do you think that you've got you've got time to to enact that that long term strategy? I, I I mean, how worried are you about the, the 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 popularity of the sport in Ireland, which we in England always assume is far greater than it is here? But I wonder whether that's actually the case, and I wonder whether that's being reflected in the sort of interest in a in a big marquee sporting event like the Irish Derby. Um, no, it's absolutely not the case. I mean, first of all, we definitely do not have the time to, to to do that. I mean, the race is falling at an alarming rate. Second of all, I mean, the Irish Champion Stakes, which is a fantastic horse race, has no has no um, appeal to the wider public. I mean, you know, we get crowds of 17,000, 18,000 in for the Dublin Racing Festival and the same on St. Stephen's Day for, for jumping that day. The Irish Champion Stakes, which brings the best horses here has maybe 10, 12,000 people at maximum, probably less than that. But Patrick, you're defeating your own argument there. You're saying that a 10 furlong race has, has no public appeal either. So you want to do an act of long-term harm to the thoroughbred breed and the European pattern uh, to, to move towards making a race 10 furlongs whilst acknowledging at the same time that a 10 furlong race, the premier 10 furlong race in Ireland, has no appeal to the wider public. Again, you're not. it's not focusing on the problem. And you know, I, I agree that something has to be done about 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 the Irish Derby and it need it needs some help but you know you at the end of what you wrote in the, in the Racing Post you talk about being um, it being an abrogation of responsibility on the part of the caretakers of once great race how about an abrogation of responsibility on part of the, the caretakers of a, of, right. of a once great breed and a once great right. great <laughs> pattern this is about the Irish Derby it's not about any other race it's about the Irish Derby there was the one race that caught the imagination and it still is the one race that might catch the imagination but if we still after 20 years of basically continuing the race continuing to fall off we just won't have any fan base left i mean who is going to, how can you as members of the fourth estate sell the races that has been putting on for the Irish? how could you sell this year's race we had the winner of the irish or the winner of the english derby came and did a lap of honor he beat three horses raised 106 97 and 99 all trained by the same person Last year, we had three runners come in from Epsom, the best of which was the third. The year before, it was won by Hurricane Lane, who was second in the Epsom Derby, and has just been sold by Godolphin to Coolmore as a National Hunt Stadium. I mean, it, this race has got nothing to do with the breed anymore at all. Uh, and by the way, that's what's wrong. That's what's wrong, surely. I mean, Hurricane Lane should have a place. Hang on, hang on. Lydia, Lydia, one second. Let's let, let Patrick finish. One second. There have been five great stallions in my lifetime, and only one of those won over a mile and a half. Saddles Wells, Galileo, who did win over a mile. Saddles Wells never won over a mile and a half. Galileo did. Dubawi didn't. Dane Hill didn't. And Frankel didn't. So, you know, mile and a half horses don't make great stallions. I just, I, 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 you know, that, to, to, to talk about breeding, the mores of, 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 of the breeding world and, and use that as a fact against against horses that that, that are, are stayers, I just don't think that works. I mean, Patrick's already acknowledged that Galileo is a great stallion, the great stallion of um, the, the, the previous era. Sad as well did try a mile and a half. It wasn't like a mile and a half was, was anathema. So did Dubawi. I mean, Sad as well ran over a mile and a half and got beaten. So did Dubawi. He won. He ran the derby. 
But what I'm saying is that the Irish army is pretty much irrelevant to the continuation but of the breed. I think the fault there, the fault there lies within the way in which a uh, mile and a half horses and stamina is 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 deemed. Uh, do do we want to move towards a sport where two and a half milers, two milers, mile six horses, mile and a half horses are are no longer relevant? Are we wanting to to put forward a homogenisation of our sport? Do we really think that that's interesting? Don't don't fans of, of racing actually enjoy the conundrum of whether horse X is going to improve over the over the over the trip you know wh- whether Sadler's Wells would have stayed a mile and a half you know what what distance a horse might might be better over isn't that part of the conundrum and by constantly narrowing um, the the range of distances then you're you're reducing that key point of interest and uh, you know it, it concerns me that that's the direction that we're going. And, and what, the thing that that encourages is also moving towards uh, stallions of uh, turning towards stallions of lesser impact rather than proven better horses who happen to stay further. What happened to the mantra of breeding the best to the best and hoping for the best? We're breeding the best to the second or third best and hoping for the best. God, Pat Patrick, I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap it up. I'm gonna just let you let you have your your final word. Well, the bottom line is the Irish Derby is in terrible, terrible trouble. You tell me how to solve it without doing this, without without changing the distance, and I'm perfectly willing to listen. But we cannot keep going the way it's going at the moment. Otherwise, the Irish Derby, I mean, we've already lost the audience. We need to try and get them back somehow. And if you have a different solution, I'm willing to listen to it. But certainly anything that requires 20 or 30 years, there won't be an Irish Derby of any thought. Well, there certainly won't be one that anyone attends in 20 years' time if it keeps going the way it's going. Well, well, there won't um, be a European sport of this statue if we don't actually put in the hard work for the long term. And that, and that is where that's where I'm going to have to leave it for the moment. Um, Patrick Cooper, thank you, thank you very much, and and thank you very much for uh, saying that you would accept any challenge, and and indeed accepting the challenge. I hope we can keep the conversation going as to how to raise the profile uh, of the Irish Derby. Thanks so much. Thanks, Nick. Appreciate it. Other news now, and the heat is intensifying with regard to whether uh, the racing channels, Racing TV and Sky Sports Racing, will continue to be able to be shown in Ireland owing to the government's intention to bring a ban on all gambling advertising in daylight hours. Well, Ryan McElligot is the chief executive of the Irish Racehorse Trainers Association, and he, along with a number of other senior figures in Irish racing, has been making the attempt to, to lobby government that this is a uh, something that would badly damage the sport of horse racing. Ryan, first of all, to what extent are the sands of time slipping away here? How much are we up against it? Um, well, it's yeah, the, the sands of time have, are very much slipping away. The um, We're looking at a, what I'm told is that, you know, we could be looking at a late October early November finalization of this piece of legislation. Now, as I say, that's that's what I'm told. It's not, you know, I'm not bringing it to the bank, but that's what I'm told. Uh, so that really puts us up against us, puts us up against it in terms of time, because we're now, we're starting into September, um, and before you know it, we'll be in October. So, like, this is uh, uh, a perilous state of affairs. Mm. Uh, I note that it's through committee stage, uh, now at the report stage, um changes can still be made in its current state but um yeah the time really does draw an eye for those changes now the the wexford 
the TD, effectively a uh, member of parliament who is, is, is responsible for the, this legislation, um, is being is being lobbied by by the local trainers in Wexford. How successful or otherwise is that is that effort? Uh, well, I, I suppose, Nick, with, without giving a smart answer, we, we remain that 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 remains to be seen. Um, I um, I know various trainers, not only in Wexford but across the country, have had you know informal discussions with various various government figures. Um, and you know the message, the message is 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 broadly similar in that you know th- there is some time, uh, changes can be done, nothing is set in stone. But you know, um, I suppose it's 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 all very well hearing that. But but uh, it goes back to your first question about the sands of time, and they're slipping away, which is most concerning. Okay, so what's your next step? Um, I suppose the, the next step is we will we will continue to lobby any and all government figures who who, who will 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 listen to us um, and in in the hope of um, in the hope of affecting some change uh, or some modifications um, and I would say in that respect the next uh, two to three weeks will be critical. Are you feeling enough support from Horse Racing Ireland? Um, I yes yeah they uh, um, I think I think all the uh, industry bodies I think are, are are really putting their shoulder to the wheel now. Um, I know it's 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 we've all come to this party a bit late, but uh, I think everybody is very much behind this um, and committed to trying to get the best possible outcome for racing. So. Um, I have no reason to doubt anybody's efforts in this regard. I've I've seen seen and read quite a bit of sort of self criticism from from various parties in Ireland saying we, we're a bit late on the uptake here. Um, can you can you think why that might be? Because if this was made obvious to anyone any earlier, surely everybody would have been doing exactly what you're doing now. Is there a reason that this wasn't immediately obvious? Um, I suppose I, I'm I'm open to correction here, but. Um, this piece of legislation has been in, in the works for five years. I suppose like any piece of legislation, uh, it takes a very long time from from its initial formation to to see the light of day where the likes of a you or I could could um, could make observations on such a piece of legislation. Um as to as to why, as you say, but people kind of referencing me late to the party I don't really know, but I suppose the 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 the, the fact of the matter is that that when in the summertime would it have been around June, uh, when when um, Racing TV uh, and Sky Sports Racing questioned the viability of broadcasting in Ireland, if this bill were to go through in its in its current form, I think that that probably crystallised the minds of a great many that this is a a dire situation, you know. Um, I suppose the thing is, uh, it doesn't matter whether it's gambling regis- gambling regulation or any other piece of legislation in any other government department. People aren't really tuned into that. You know, people on the ground, you know, um, like they, they, they're, they're just not tuned into that. And, and that's, that's, I'm not putting that forward as an excuse, but that would just be an observation on how legislation takes effect. Right. That was Ryan McElligot. Um cautiously well, I wasn't even gonna say optimistic, hopeful that a resolution may be may be found 
to to stop uh, both Racing TV and Sky Sports Racing effectively ceasing transmission in Ireland. And of course, it would have a massive impact on uh, RTE and uh, ITV racing being transmitted, given the current advertising situation on on those networks. So there's there's issues all over the shop. I, I, I mean, I. I I, I like to make people feel better at the end of these episodes than they did at the start, Lydia, but it's the, it's a long, dark tunnel today. It's really difficult, I think, um, on both sides of the Irish Sea. There are so many different threats and different directions towards the sport of horse racing. It's hard not to feel despondent occasionally. Um, you, you tell me that you've, you've got a correspondent, haven't you, who says, yeah. you know, cheer yeah. up, love. He's 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 great. Tim Fisher um, listens to the show a lot, and he he messages messages me on Twitter quite a bit. And he 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 says, um, you know, quite a bit. You know, I don't want to bury my head in the sand, but there's only so much you can take. Um, <laughs> you know, he also says journalists should seek to provide answers to the problems they talk about, and we do and we do try. But I do understand what he means, and 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 mm. I, honestly, we do try, especially on 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 here to to you know shine and buff up the bits of the sport that are that are, that are already quite shiny but it at the moment it's there's just there's just so many kind of i've never known so many um and again i don't want to use the word existential because everybody uses it but there are there are so many uh issues that seem to threaten the very existence and fabric of the sport as we know it so we yeah maybe it's just I, because I think- people who like racing do care about it so much that they are prepared to kind of be quite self-critical and 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 you know point out the problems i think i think racing's great strength all around the world is that it has a passionate ardent core of fans who absolutely love the sport and don't want to see anything negative happen to it but it is it is hard i mean you know cheer up love it might never happen well it feels like it like it is happening i mean if we look at the governments both in ireland and in britain contemplating legislation which which the industries believe would be fundamentally damaging to the horse racing industry in each country and uh it's well intentioned it's looking at in, in both cases it's looking at the uh, cause of ad- addiction to gambling and and looking to um to to remove any harms that any reasonable harms and to proportionately um, look after those who um, are vulnerable to those kind of harms. Um, but proportionately is the right word. And from racing, given the way that it is structured and funding funded, um, it thinks, well, you know, we, to some degree, we're already struggling to be part of the the public consciousness if you referring back to what patrick was just saying about the irish derby you know if if racing disappears from the tv screens in ireland which is what potentially might might happen here then it will be very very quickly slipping out of the public consciousness further and lots of people um express their interest and love and understand something of the sport via the medium of having a bet and for the sake of um uh, populism um you know, there is a sort of anti-gambling vibe that has sort of taken hold where people um reflexively talk about harms when referring to mm. gambling whereas previously you know 10 20 years ago it was um a, a little fl- harmless flutter and for most people uh, it is a, a little harmless flutter for a, a, a small minority of of people it is not and hence the um what what is going to be caused by what the the, the governments on each 
in, in Ireland and Britain are proposing is going to have a disproportionate effect. Oh. And uh, certainly oh. in Britain, I don't think it's actually going yeah. go, yeah. to help the problem in any way whatsoever. I, I agree. Well, when you, you said you sent me the cutout from The Times yesterday, one in three favour a ban on gambling. That's not favour a ban on advertising on gambling. One in three favour a ban on gambling. Now, you have to read the article to understand the context, but that is the headline in the yeah. London Times. What kind of neo-Victorian hell oh, <laughs> is this country about to be plunged in? I really, uh, Heaven like forfend you can bloody well enjoy yourself. Jesus wept. <laughs> it's like going back to the 1960s. I mean, the Times really is going on a on a, um, a sort of anti-gambling spree at the moment, which, you know, amuses me when you think of the the affiliations to gambling that the Times, you know, has. Uh, but nonetheless, <laughs> that's what that's that's what they're trying to do. But it does feel like we're we're going back to the 1960s, and you know, gambling is is a dirty pastime, which you know you have to do illegally, and and you know it's it's not not nice, not in not in 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 polite company. And the whole concept that you, <laughs> the whole concept that you can ban gambling is just hilarious, though. I mean, the premise is just so wrong-headed, and uh, you know, you, you you just can't help but feel that uh, this is being you know used as a populist distraction for um, all the other things that uh, that are going on that are wrong with the world sorry tim right okay um shall we uh, cheer everybody up and talk about charles burns what has um what has charles burns said in response to uh, the story that developed at down patrick the day before yesterday that we highlighted on yesterday's podcast well, his Twitter account uh, has said, it appears people have let their imaginations run wild last night. We were towing a horse box behind a two-stall horse van. The owners had a Jeep. The horse box was then attached to the hitch on the Jeep and the horse was taken home. Hashtag, you can't teach stupid. Uh, the point being that uh, Charles Burns had five intended runners at Dan Patrick on Monday. Uh, two of them, four of them were taken in the horse boxes. The other one was uh, the one that ended up being a non-runner. Carlos was taken um, in in the van in the um, that was attached to the Jeep. Uh, the horse, according to Charles Burns, became upset, uh, slipped and in the trailer, sweated up en route to the fixture. And so it was felt to be in his best interest to withdraw. Um, and so that horse then went home. Um, towed, uh, according to Charles Burns, by his owners. Um, the IHRB wanted to, to verify that the horse had actually been at the track. They sent uh, some people to verify that to Charles Burns' yard. Charles says that the horse hadn't at that point returned home. Um, and he is, <laughs> with some irony, he is calling for CCTV footage uh, oh. from Dan Patrick Racecourse to prove that Carlos was at the track. The, the IHRB are going to look into uh, what, what happened. Um, the uh, I, I'll be interested to find out what 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 that investigation uh, brings up. They're, obviously, they're going to have to look into betting patterns and betting patterns uh, more widely on a day. Charles Burns had a treble at Dan Patrick, the the fourth horse that that he ran. I am Spider Man uh, drifted and uh, ran disappointingly. Um, Alan Sweetman makes the point in his column in the Racing Post today that uh, that, that uh, permutations. The, there are many permutations involved. He says, and I quote: "Any multiples that included the three Burns winners and the gambled on anyway." Uh, that's the horse of Ken Buds that won the race that Carlos was withdrawn from. Um, and uh, with such providential 
mutual exclusion exclusion of either Carlos or I am Spider-Man would certainly raise questions worthy of former uh, further investigation. He says that he didn't think that anyways apparent improvement in format has also been uh, referred by the Dan Patrick stewards to the IHRB was anything grossly out of the ordinary well according to racing post ratings it was a 16 pound improvement according to time form ratings it was a 13 pound improvement uh, the horse had uh, first time cheek pieces and it is often joked by people on on racing channels that um, horses can improve also for the application of of cash and whilst that is very funny um, Alan Sweetman make makes the point that that is why they there is the wider air of suspicion and that is why issues like this have to be thoroughly investigated so that the you know so that the truth is laid bare Branberry has a copyright on that phrase you have to you have to pay his lawyers every time you use it <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah I I probably owe Fran so much by, by this point uh, yeah I, I'll, I'll pay him in cosmopolitans all right, well, the big race at Sandown Park this weekend is the Virgin Bet Solario Stakes. It's a, it's a quiet weekend's racing in the in the UK, but it allows these promising two-year-olds to take uh, a portion of the centre stage. And a uh, very interesting runner in this race is Devil's Point for trainer David Menuizia, who's actually got two engaged in the race, but I, I'm uh, relying on the fact that you're, you're pinning your hopes on Devil's Point, David. Yes, I mean, look, um, I would have run Sunway, but unfortunately, uh, his scope yesterday was not perfect. So we would prefer to treat the horse and, and go for something else in two weeks' time, probably at Doncaster, uh, whether it will be the, the listed race or the champagne. So uh, that leaves uh, Devil, Devil's Point uh, uh, to go for the Solario yeah, and fly the flag. <laughs> yeah, he, he was pretty impressive. Uh, when he he last won at, at Foss last, having made a very eye-catching debut behind the likely favourite Starlaw uh, Sandan on on his debut. Now it was soft ground last time. Is that is that critical to his chance? Do you think? Uh, critical um, at the moment. I would prefer to run him on on, on softer ground as a two-year-old because he does have a, he does have a little bit of a stiff action. So he takes time to, to warm up. So I think the slow ground um, does help him, you know, and that's why I wouldn't want the ground to be too 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 quick. Uh, it doesn't need a heavy ground, but soft side of good would be uh, would be good enough. Then he's a good mover. It's just a question of uh, warming up the uh, the machine. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. He he need he needs a bit of, he needs a bit of winding up. I mean he. How good do you think he might be? What, do you see him as a as a as a good stayer in time? Um, I don't know. Look, it's a good question. He's um, he's always showed talent, uh, and he's from a fantastic family. Uh, the family of the top price at Doncaster yesterday, I think, uh, actually. Um, uh, look, uh, we we are hopeful that the the horse is quite good. But then that's for that's for him to to, to prove himself on the track, really. You know. Uh, in the same cut. How much he's going to stay in the future, though? You know, because he does have a fair amount of speed. So, uh, you know, there's a fair amount of speed on the on on the on the damn side. So he could well be a miler, one mile two. You know, uh, if we really stretch, but I don't think he's a mile and a half horse at the moment. 
Um, the weekend you had a uh, your Philly Keys chorister ran in the Ebel. She ran a great race to finish sixth. She was pretty unlucky as well. If she'd had a clear run, she'd have been right there or thereabouts. What are the plans for her moving forward? Uh, look, she's uh, she could be going for for the Old Borough Cup uh, as long as she's uh, she she looks like she's uh, recuperated from the race pretty quickly. She's a, she's a very hard filly, so yeah, she could go for the Old Borough Cup at Haydock uh, next weekend. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it was a bit unfortunate that that what's that's that's what makes the difference between a a decent season and, and a very good one. <laughs> Yeah, I, I know I know what you're saying. And you could you could yet win a, a nice handicap with her. You could yet surely win a, a nice race with Heartache tonight, couldn't you? Uh, she I thought she ran okay in the Prix de Pomon on a comeback run. She ran okay, but I'm scratching my head a little bit with her. I just wonder if she stays that well, you know? Because she she went to win a race turning in and then uh she didn't really find found an extra gear, you know, so uh, at the moment, I'm, I'm I'm actually wondering whether I should drop her backing trip, and uh, I'm exploring some races of uh, nine and ten furlongs at the moment. Yeah, because when we have the <laughs> when we have the sibling of a a really good horse, we tend to think that they have the same traits, but they don't, you know. And uh, in the Oaks, she she led them a long way. She went very fast. She had a lot of horses of the bridle um, turning into the straight. So she does have a fair amount of speed. Um, that's why, yeah, she's a, she's a very nice filly, but I don't think we've seen the best of her yet. David Manuizier there, and I do like it when my guests provide my links for me, as he did just there, because he is spot on. Uh, his horse that is an intended runner on uh, Saturday at Sandown is out of a half-sister to the dam of the top lot from yesterday's uh, first day of the Goffs UK Premier Yearling Sale. Uh, said horse, out of Marsh Hawk, was by Wooten Bassett, was bought by Robson Aguiar for 200000 said he reminded him of Buccaneer Fuerte, and uh, was consigned by Rockcliffe Stud, the Keswick family, uh, whose interests are uh, marshaled and managed by Bloodstock agent Ed Sackville, who joins me now. Ed, was that considered a, a good result yesterday? This is a nice pedigree. Yeah, I think to, uh, to to top a sale, albeit to, to top, a day, top a day of a sale, is always uh, an incredibly good result. Um, we were obviously absolutely delighted. Uh, Carolyn and Jake Warren's high clear start did a uh, fantastic job in in prepping and and selling the horse uh, for for Rockcliffe. Um, they've sold the Rockcliffe horses um, since uh, since Rockcliffe has been on the scene, and um, we were absolutely delighted. But he was a very nice horse, uh, probably one of the best bred horses in the catalogue, and by Wooden Bassett, who's had an outstanding an outstanding year so far um, you look at Wharton Bassett he he's quite interesting he's producing a sort of variety of different horses who look as they're going to have different stamina requirements this is quite a fast family where do you see this horse's future would you see him as an Ascot two-year-old do you see him as something a little bit later on well we we took him to Doncaster because we very much felt that he fitted the Doncaster mold in looking like a looking like a precocious two-year-old. So that's why we bought him, we bought him to Doncaster. Because as I say, I, 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 we felt um, 
Jay Carolyn, um, myself and the team at Rockcliffe, that he would really stand out at, uh, at Doncaster. So I would hope he would be early. Um, his, his siblings were all, uh, were all uh, two-year-old winners, um, American Kestrel, Mohawk King, and obviously uh, Trillium. So it does seem to be a, a precocious, fast family, and Madame Marshhawk, She's interesting. I think she's one of only... There was an article in the TDN, I think, after Lumiere won her maiden at, um, at Newmarket's July meeting, saying that there was only, I think, six or seven horses, two-year-olds, which had ever won a maiden at Newmarket by six lengths or more. And uh, Marshhawk was one of these horses. And at... Uh, so long ago I can't remember but out of the others I think Motivator may have been one of them obviously Lumiere there was another group one well, Ka- Calix was one wasn't he which have won was Calix one yeah. Calix was one yeah six lengths or more um, but uh, two year olds which have won at Newmarket by six lengths or more have all gone on to, to great things and although Marshall didn't actually manage to win a black type race she was beaten uh a short head in the Dick Paul. She was fourth in the Phillies Mile. I think she was second in the Kilvington. I mean, she was a very consistent black type performer. And now you were on the other side of the, the fence um, for quite a bit of yesterday as well. You, you managed to get yourself a, a blue point for 180 grand off to off to Dave Lochnan. Tell me a little bit about that. Uh, he was, um, well, blue point needs no introduction. He's very fashionable at the moment and I hope that he uh, continues to do so when he has his three-year-old runners. There's no reason to think that he won't, particularly when he sort of came good himself as an, as an older horse. Uh, this horse uh, here from uh, Longview Stud, he, he was a very sort of robust horse with a lot of presence to him. Uh, he I would say that the Wooden Bassett Marshall had a bit more class and quality, whereas this Blue Point had a bit more substance to him. Uh, they were actually sort of two very different horses. Uh, I particularly liked him and um, was absolutely delighted to uh, delighted to have uh, to have got him. Um, I sort of, in the back of my mind, thought that. Uh, we wouldn't get him so I thought that if he was a horse which Godolphin was on then um, we would uh, we would have no chance but um, luckily we managed to manage to come out on top and um, let's hope that he goes on to uh, to be worthy of his sales price brilliant Now, some more news. I spoke to Bruce Raymond yesterday, racing manager Saeed Suhail, the owner of Desert Crown. I wanted an update on Desert Crown's condition after that reported breakdown just before York. Uh, Bruce said to me, he's okay. It's it's still a long road ahead. He'll never run again. Uh, he's got multiple screws in his leg, but he is weight-bearing on all four feet, which is good news. Uh, and he is getting up and down unaided. Also good news, clearly it has to be on an antibiotic regime because of the risk of infection. And he said he's a very good patient. 
He's taking the care extremely well and isn't resenting it. But clearly it's a complex situation uh, that requires a change in feed because he's coming from full training to complete box rest. You're changing his diet. There's obviously then risks of, of colic and so forth. But at the moment, he's taking it extremely well and they're just monitoring him day by day. So that's the update on Desert Crown. Many of you have been um, writing to me and asking how he's doing. We had hoped, of course, to see him at York. There is uh, some cautiously positive news as regards that fixture and the possible upgrading of another race. Now, you'll be familiar if you've listened to William Darby over the years that he and his team are very keen to get the City of York Stakes, the Group 2 over seven furlongs on Saturday, upgraded to a Group 1. Requires a bit of doing. You have to have a, a first four average rating of 115 or more. And that has to be over the course of three years and in the current year. Now, they've managed to do it, I think. Kinross, 119. Audience, 116. Sandry, 113, with the £4 Phillies allowance added. Isaac Shelby, 115. That comes out 116.75. Uh, and obviously, the risk is that the ratings go down between now and then, at the end of the year. And, of course, they've then got to persuade France and Ireland and everybody else in the European Patent. Now, Lydia, you are the chair of the Patent Committee here in the UK and a member of the European Patent Committee, so you can't really say anything, can you? No, apart from apart from the endorsing the process that you've just uh, just described, uh, it, certainly there is. It is a matter of record that the British Patent Committee has in the past stated that there is ambition to have a, a Group One race in Britain uh, over seven furlongs, and that would be an ambition known to the European Patent Committee. But there are many many hurdles to jump. There's uh, you know time has passed as well. We have to revisit that ambition, of course, within the the context of. Um, whether the uh, global population of horses um, at this level is uh, fitting to the global population of races. However, the European pattern is the most uh, tightly uh, controlled in the world. Um, and uh, it will be, uh, you know, abiding by it, by its own rules and its own processes uh, when it considers uh, this, if indeed the race by the end of the season qualifies for being put forward. Now, Aintree Racecourse has come to the end of its third year of the Trevor Hemming Summer School with Park Palace Ponies. And today that will be marked with a visit from a dual boxing world champion Natasha Jonas with her daughter, Natasha's Naintree Ambassador. That's all happening this afternoon. And I'm really pleased to welcome Bridget Griffin, founder of Park Palace Ponies, which aims to get a bigger cross-section of the Liverpool urban population acquainted with horses and ponies. Great to welcome Bridget to the show. How's the third uh, season of this Trevor Hemming Summer School gone, uh, Bridget? Hi, yeah, yeah. Um, it's gone absolutely brilliantly, to be honest. It's um, It's been quite magical again to, to watch lots of children who've never had the chance before to ride actually come and have a go at riding at both our Dingle and Aintree sites. So it's been great. And, and just for those who... who are unfamiliar just take us back to when you you first started this project and and how it's really developed to where it is now so we started park palace ponies in april 2017 there were a group of seven of us who were basically either inner city horse riders and owners ourselves who commuted quite far to ride um or were kind of friends and family of us (laughs) 
who we kind of took along for the ride and originally we we kind of set part palace up as a six month pilot project that was all to do with basically proving the need for urban riding schools and how important and how much demand was actually out there um and we did our six months collected a load of data planned to close as we were due to and we had pretty much uproar from the local community that kind of said you know you can't take our ponies away so ever since then we've been in our little corner of the dingle providing beginners riding lessons to children age four to ten and the take-up has been pretty pretty outstanding really has it exceeded your expectations absolutely i mean i think we we obviously were quite positive about the whole project to start with and we knew that there were groups of children who would really benefit but i don't think we realized how kind of normal it would be to have ponies just outside the city center in liverpool um we've we've put in the seven years we've been operational about i think we're about eight thousand children have come to ride in one way or another whether that be to go through the learn to ride course whether it be to attend one of our summer projects or whether it be to come to a party or come with their school so we're on about eight thousand riders um which is crazy when you kind of stop and think about it um and they're probably children that wouldn't wouldn't have got the opportunity to otherwise had we not been kind of in close proximity to where they live uh, dual world boxing champion natasha jonas is an entry ambassador as i said uh, she and her daughter are, are coming down today i gather you've sparked a, a massive interest in 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 natasha's daughter Yes, so I know Natasha's daughter has been down a couple of times. We've met at various sort of events where we've taken ponies and she's always the first to kind of rush over and say hello. Um, so I think this will be maybe her. I think this is the third summer that she's been down to have a little ride. Um, so who knows, maybe there will be a Jonas horse in the future, you never know. And in terms of securing your future and securing your funding, just tell me where you're at and what you what you need. So for us, we operate as a not-for-profit social enterprise. So basically anything that we make goes straight into covering our costs. We have a board of directors, but obviously we all kind of do it voluntarily. So I'm actually a geography teacher. Um, so this is something we kind of do on the side. We've got a great kind of core staff team that do the day-to-day looking after the ponies. And we just, we just about kind of cover our costs at the moment. Um, that's with kind of ongoing donations throughout the year and sponsorships. Um, big one for us at the moment is sponsors. So we do have eight ponies that are looking for sponsors in 2024. So what we usually say is if any business or person or anyone would like to kind of sponsor a pony and and, and kind of come and spend time with them or we kind of do it with a bit of a bit of a payback where you could potentially donate whatever the cost is to like a local school so there's lots of things we can talk about but sponsorship is a big one for us at the moment because that kind of gives us a bit of a guaranteed income for the year um, and then it's just kind of you know anyone at all that wants to donate anything it really does go a massive way and into, to help us keep going and how much would it be to sponsor one of those ponies for, for say a year if, if a business wants to do that so we say a minimum of a thousand pounds for the year so some people some businesses give a thousand we have other more generous people who kind of give more for a pony it's just kind of whatever a business can provide would be great 
Well, thanks to Bridget. All we need now is a tip from Lydia Hislop. Uh, I'm going to Catrick for a one mile six furlong race, the 210. And I like third batch who showed improvement last time out at Lingfield, shaping as though an extra trip would suit. A third batch gets that extra trip today. So it's third batch in the 210 at Catrick for Sean Woods and Clifford Lee. Lydia, thank you very much. Thank you very much for listening. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please do leave us a rating and a review wherever you consume your pods. And most importantly, please tell all your friends and even people you don't like who might like this podcast uh, and point them in this direction. That was Wednesday, August the 30th. Back to do it all over again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.